Hear ye, hear ye. An edict from the king. The word of God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves any idol. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's ox, your neighbor's new Corvette. <laughs> what a bummer. <laughs> Some of those things sound kind of fun. We're not supposed to. Don't get me wrong, guys. It's the law of God. That's the Ten Commandments, if you didn't learn them in Sunday school. That's the Ten Commandments. It's the law of God. It was given to us as a gift from God. And um, so the bummer is not that we have the law. The bummer is that all of us have broken the law. The bummer is that um, none of us has perfectly kept the law, even though when you read it, it seems pretty straightforward and pretty simple. And yet, every human being for all time has tripped over this law. And the interesting thing is God knew that would be the case before he ever gave the stone tablets to Moses. So the law was not given to us so that we would live up to it. The law was given as a measuring stick to show us that we do not live up to it. The law is given to us to help us to understand that with our human efforts, the best we can do is fall incredibly short, right? Like uh, some of you have heard this old illustration, but just imagine that you're standing on one side of the Grand Canyon right up against the edge and you decide you're gonna jump to the other side. Now, if you get a good running start, you can probably make it out pretty far. And, and even at my advanced age, I think I could probably get a running start. The truth is I would probably trip before I got there. But I, I could get a running start, make a nice leap, and I'll bet you I could make it 10 feet before I crash to the bottom. Now, if we got the world record holder in the long jump and we had him try and he got a running start, he could make it maybe 30 feet and we would be together at the bottom. See, all of our efforts end up at the bottom of the canyon. It's not a matter of lack of effort. It's not a matter of not trying. It's not a matter of not caring. The truth of the matter is we are broken people, right? All of us. And so we're never going to live up to this law. And God knew that. But it was given to us so that we would understand how desperately we need a savior. If you can't live up to the law, you need a savior. 
So I'm going to ask you to um, turn in your New Testament with me to the book of Galatians. Now, if you have a Bible, you'll find Galatians uh, pretty far deep into your Bible. If you get to Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you'll come to Galatians. If uh, you have a phone with a Bible app on it, it's much easier to find that way. But I want you to go to Galatians with me, and I want you to go to Galatians chapter 3. Because in Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul addresses this issue. And I think he sums it up incredibly well, so let me let him speak for himself. Verse 10, Galatians chapter 3. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now, that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So, so Paul is saying, listen, it's not that there is no law, it's that all of our efforts to live up to the law fall short and therefore we are under the curse of the law. The law is a curse bearer, he says. Now, if you skip down to verse 23, we're still in Galatians 3. It says, but before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. For you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So on the one hand, the law brings with it this curse with the threat of eternal death, but he says Christ has overcome the curse for us. So while it's true that our universal failure to keep the law is a huge bummer, because it brings the curse of death and eternal separation from God. It does. I'm not gonna stand here and pretend that sin is no big deal because sin is a huge deal to God. If it wasn't for sin, Jesus would have never had to go to the cross. Sin is a problem. We're not gonna pretend that it's not just so that nobody gets their feathers ruffled. The truth of the matter is, all of us know this because we struggle with sin ourselves. Sin is a problem and that's the bummer, but there's a blessing too. The big blessing is that God sent his son to be our savior to make a way for us to have eternal life by grace through faith. And for those of us who are Christians, this might sound like a boring, stale, old statement. We, we, if you, you maybe heard this when you were three years old in Sunday school. 
that, that salvation is not by the law, it's by grace through faith in Christ, and it's through that relationship with Christ that we can have eternal life, right? And it seems boring and it seems stale. It's not about outward works, it's about an inward transformation, and blah, 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 I've heard it before. But to Jesus' original audience, when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, this was earth-shattering information. Nobody had ever talked like this. Nobody had ever expressed anything like this. Everything those Jews knew about life in God was that it started and ended with the law. So they, they always carried the weight of knowing their own failure. Oh, some of them dressed up and put on a happy face and, and wore priestly gowns and, and uh, showed up at temple to make their sacrifices and were there at the synagogue on the Sabbath and followed all the dietary laws and did the best they could, but every one of them knew that they were failing because every one of them was human. We all inherit our sin nature through Adam. It comes right down the line. So if you need something to blame your parents for, Blame them for this. We inherited this. And it's true of all of us. But listen to how Jesus begins his sermon. Not with a list of rules that lead to a curse, but with a list of characteristics of the transformed life which lead to massive blessings. So we're gonna be in Matthew chapter five. Matthew five is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And I know I teased you last week, we got through a grand total of two verses and we didn't even start the actual sermon. But today we're gonna start in verse three with the words of Jesus. So hooray for that, we're making great progress. Verse three, chapter five, Matthew. Jesus says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When I was a sophomore in high school, I had two passions. Jesus Christ and basketball, and girls, so three. God's listening, I might as well be honest. So, so I mean, that was where my head was at all the time. And, and uh, I was very serious about my athletic career at that time. I was convinced it was gonna be my ticket to college, uh, and, and this is why I am cursed with the de- difficulty of being a UCLA fan, is because I wanted to go to UCLA and play basketball. And the, the uh, college scouts were starting to pay attention, and the opportunities were starting to sniff around, and I was thinking, you know what, I'm gonna make it. And so I focused and every day I was in the gym and every day I was shooting after practice and every day I was in the weight room and I was doing what I had to do. Here's the thing. 
uh, I haven't gotten any taller since the seventh grade. <laughs> that was not according to my strategy. That was not what I was gonna do. And um, so I went to this high school down by the beach in Orange County and uh, you know, to say that our high school was diverse was to say that not everyone had blonde hair, okay? It was not the most diverse high school in the world. And, uh, but there was this kid uh, my freshman year who, who transferred from an inner city school, and his name was Tim Hawkins. And Tim and I became fast friends. Tim was five foot eight, and he could dunk with two hands behind his head. I would try to guard him, and he would jump, and as he started going up, I would start going up. Perfect, that's working just great. But then he would keep going up, and I would start coming down. <laughs> and then when I was on the ground watching, he would keep going up. And, and uh, he used to tease me all the time because I had a great outside shot, and he couldn't hit an outside shot to save his life. But man, you got him in the key, and he was dunking on everybody. And, and so I told him, you know, one day I'm going to be able to dunk too, and he would just laugh. They later made a movie based on my high school basketball career about some people who can't jump. So, so some of you are getting it. Just share it with your neighbor. Um, so he said, um, I'll, I'll make you a bet that you're not going to be able to dunk before we graduate. And so I said, you're on. And man, we had weight training at 7 a.m., so I would get there at 6.30 just to do legs. And I was working on my calves, and I was working on my thighs, and I was doing everything I could to build those muscles, and it worked, man. My vertical leap went from three inches to four inches. It was great. And, and I finally got to the place where I could dunk a volleyball, but I could never get that basketball all the way over the top of the rim. So one day I went to Tim and I said, hey, um, I've got it. I'm dunking now. He said, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. Meet me after school at the elementary school across the street. <laughs> so we went across the street and I dunked like 10 times in a row because they have nine foot rims at the elementary school. <laughs> it was a great uh, pleasure in my life to realize I was winning the bet, but he just laughed his way all the way home. That's what the Jews had been doing with the law for thousands of years by the time Jesus showed up. They couldn't reach the rim, so they just lowered the rim. They just kept rewriting the rules so that they were capable of keeping them. And Jesus comes along and he sees that they're all dunking and they're so proud of themselves. And he's like, guys, these are five foot rims. And he starts to talk to them now about the way that they were designed to live. And I'm telling you, this was shocking information to them. Again, everything they knew about God started and ended with the law. Jesus came along and shattered that whole way of thinking with the Sermon on the Mount. The Ten Commandments say, live a righteous life or else. Jesus comes along with the Sermon on the Mount and he says, in essence, if you let God give you a righteous heart, your life will follow. 
You're, you're focusing on the wrong things, he says. You're, you're just trying to follow rules and handle everything from the outside, but God wants to change you from the inside out. He wants to give you a new heart, and once you have a new heart, that changes everything, but the changes must come from the inside out, and only God can make that kind of transformation. Now listen, the average person, if they're being honest with you, will tell you, they just wanna be happy. I mean, I wanna be happy, don't you? I, I definitely prefer happiness to sadness. I, I very much would like to be happy. Um, that's why so many of us do the things that we do. It's why we pursue the things we pursue. It's why we're interested in the things we're interested in, because we wanna be happy. But Jesus comes along and says, listen, if you've set the bar at happiness, you set the bar too low. There is a level of living that you know nothing about because the problem with happiness is it comes and goes, doesn't it? It's dependent on our circumstances, even dependent on our moods. So it changes all of the time. So if you set the bar at happiness, you set the bar too low. Jesus comes along and says, listen, what I wanna offer you is something I call blessedness. And blessedness and happiness are not the same thing. Now we're gonna get back to Matthew 5, so, so just leave a finger there, but I, I want you to go to first, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and, and go to 2 Corinthians 5, it's to the right, um, it'll go Acts, then Romans, then 1 Corinthians, and then 2 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and this is a verse that some of you know very, very well, but it ought to be highlighted in everybody's Bible. It probably should be memorized in all of our hearts. Let me read to you what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul writes and he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is, if anyone has a personal relationship with Christ, if anyone has come into a, um, a saving knowledge of God, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Everybody say new creature. <laughs> Guys, that's the key. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. He's describing what happens when you come into a relationship with the living God. Now listen, I'm not talking about joining a religion. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about changing the label that you carry to describe your philosophy. He's saying if you're in Christ... And so that means if, if, you're, if you've always been Buddhist and now you're in Christ, you're a new creation. If you've always been Baptist, but now you're in Christ, you're a new creation. If you've always been Episcopal, if you've always been Catholic, if you've always been Jewish, whatever you've always been, whatever your label has always been, you need to be in Christ. To be in church is not the same as to be in Christ. It's a personal relationship and he offers it to us and invites us to receive the gift of eternal life when we transition the control of our lives to him and he becomes Lord and when he becomes Lord of our lives, he's also our savior. And if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Understand what that means. It doesn't mean he takes the old mess that you used to be and polishes it up and makes it look better. It doesn't mean that it gets you over that one habit you could never get over that was such a difficulty in your life. It doesn't mean that you're uh, revitalized, revamped, or, or um, you know, um, washed clean. It means 
you are a new creation. Jesus uses the phrase born again. You actually need a spiritual birth that you don't have, he says, until you come into a relationship with Christ. Now again, some of you have heard that all your lives. Some of you have already accepted that truth and that's why you're a follower of Christ. But for them, the idea that God would come along and make you new was a completely foreign concept. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is describing what that new life looks like. That's what he's doing. One of the greatest truths in life is that you and I can come to Christ just as we are. You don't have to clean up. You don't have to memorize a bunch of stuff. Don't have to learn a bunch of stuff. Don't have to dress different, cut your hair different, join a club. Don't have to do any of those kind of things. I can come to Christ as as an addict. I can come to Christ as a criminal. I can come to Christ as a broken down old person. I can come to Christ as one whose life has been completely shattered and he doesn't say, hey, polish it up, get it clean, get a nice suit of clothes and then come to church and if everybody at church likes you, I'll accept you. That's not what he says. He says, you come as you are and I will make you as you ought to be. That's good news. But here's the thing. If you come as you are to Jesus, you will never again be as you were. He absolutely transforms us. He gives us new life. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ transforms a person from the inside out, and that's the opposite of all man-made religion. Man-made religion is all about a set of rules or a set of hoops to jump through, a ladder that we climb on our way to heaven. And, and Jesus goes, listen, you can climb all day, you can climb all year, you're never, ever gonna reach the standard of holiness. So what do we do? We lower the rim. And we go, well, I come to church every week or, or you know, I believe these things. And he goes, he goes, you actually need to be transformed. The only way that's gonna happen is I have to come to you. And so this God who loves us so much comes to us so he can meet us on our terms, on our turf and transform us so that we are fit to be with him. So in, the, in these verses in Matthew chapter five, um, he gives us what has become known as the Beatitude, the Beatitudes. It's, it's nine statements. And, and I want you to pick it up with me in Matthew chapter five. And we're gonna look at this so that we all have it fresh in our minds. Here's what he says again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when People insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's a description of the new life we receive in Christ. Nine statements. Nine times in nine verses Jesus uses the word blessed. 
And, I, and we're gonna juxtapose that with happiness that the world has to offer. It's a description of this new life in Christ. And each statement begins with these words, blessed are. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Nine things right down the list. Those people, according to Jesus, are the people who are truly blessed. But what does he mean by that? Well, your New Testament is written in Greek. Primarily. And there's a Greek word that is translated as blessed there, and I need to spend a little bit of time on that because uh, it doesn't mean what we think it means, or it's, it's, it's much fuller than, than the words we have in English to describe it. The, the Greek word is makarios, and, and it's uh, perhaps the closest we can come to a direct translation is, is to say inner joy. Uh, you have inner joy when you are these things. It's actually like a, more of a combination of joy and peace and contentment, fulfillment. There's not really one word that describes it. it it's a new life. It's a different life. It's a fulfilled life. It's the ultimate sense of well-being. It's what Jesus called the abundant life, and he said he came to give it to us. It's a word that is used to describe God himself from Genesis to Revelation. God is for over and over and over called blessed in the Bible. It describes the actual inner being of God, the character of God, the nature of God. God is blessed and therefore the only way we can um, receive that kind of blessedness is as we merge our lives with him. That's why he says if anyone is in Christ, not like knows about Christ, not walked past Christ one day, not bumped into Christ. If anyone is in Christ, that, that relationship with God brings blessedness. Now, as I said, this sermon from Jesus is gonna take the way the world thinks about life and turn it completely upside down. And it's not just the way they thought about life then that is being turned upside down, it's the way people think about life today where we live that he's turning upside down in the Sermon on the Mount. Without that relationship to Jesus in this world, best you can hope for is happiness. And happiness is fleeting, it comes and goes. The world says, you know, happy are the rich. Jesus says, blessed are the poor. The world says, happy are those who celebrate. The world says, blessed are those who mourn. The world says, happy are the strong and the forceful. And the world says, blessed are the gentle. The, the, the world says, happy are those who have everything they want. The, world says, uh, the word of God says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The world says, happy are those who will step on anyone to get what they want. And Jesus says, you know what? Blessed are the merciful. The world says, happy are those who follow their heart wherever it leads. By the way, I think that phrase right there might be the single most devastating sentence Satan ever made up, follow your heart. The scripture says that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked who can know it. And yet we got bumper stickers that say, follow your heart. Your heart will lead you off a cliff. How about this? Follow the one who made your heart. 
And, and the world says, listen, you'll be happy if you follow your heart. And, and Jesus goes, listen, you'll be, you'll be blessed if you're pure in heart. That only comes through this transformed life. The world says, happy are those who are willing to fight for what they want. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Happy are those who never have to suffer unjustly. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. This is not the same message. This is a very different message. This is a huge contrast. And this sets the tone for the whole sermon. Jesus is just gonna keep challenging these deeply held views that people have about what life is all about. And, and so he's only a minute into his message now. You know, again, I take longer to preach than Jesus. Jesus is only a minute into his message at this point, and I guarantee you, I wish there was video of the crowd. I guarantee you people are starting to rustle. People are starting to whisper in each other's ear and go, did he just say blessed are those who mourn? He must have never lost anybody. He, either that or he's just a fool. He keeps throwing these things out and they're just getting more and more uncomfortable with every statement that he makes because it's so contrary to everything they've ever understood to be true. But Jesus made it clear he was not kidding. He is describing the life that results in a great reward in heaven, he says. He's calling us to get our eyes off of what this world has to offer and look to God for things that this world could never begin to offer. The poor in spirit, he says, receive the kingdom of God. The, the mourners will be comforted, he says, in ways the world knows nothing about. The gentle will inherit the earth. They won't go and take it. They'll inherit it because it belongs to their father. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will one day be satisfied as opposed to all the happiness things that we keep chasing after that never satisfy for long. The merciful, he says, shall receive mercy. Raise your hand if you could use some mercy now and then. Come on. See, the pure in heart, he says, shall see God. The peacemakers shall be called sons of God. Those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness will experience the kingdom of God. Why is it so common for people who don't know Jesus to keep trying new things? Why, why hop from one relationship to the next? Why hop from one career path to the next? Why, why hop from um, one place to the next? Why hop from one experience to the next? Why is it that when you get where you think you want to be, you're never quite fulfilled there? That, that great job is never really the thing that makes my life fulfilled. That really cool new car is boring three weeks after I bought it. But guess what? The payments keep going, right? And, and all of these things that we think this will be the thing, listen, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that these things will not make you happy because they can make you happy. Temporary things can make you happy. 
temporarily. But that's the nature of happiness. It's temporary. Jesus is talking about something entirely different. He's talking about fulfillment. He's talking about blessedness. Why does nothing ever seem to fit? Nothing ever seems to last. Nothing ever seems to fill that great void that's in our heart. It's because this world is not our home. This is not what we're created for. The values of this world lead to misery and shame. The trinkets of this world will rust and rot. But you and I were not created for this world. This world is not our home. We cannot truly thrive in this world. Apart from Christ, the best we can hope for is to survive, and even that is temporary. The one business that is not affected by seasonal change is the mortuary business because people's lives keep ending. And so even when you get everything, you lose it when you breathe your last breath. Everything the world has to offer is temporary, but blessedness only comes through Christ. New life is only found in him. You have to face your own wretchedness. You have to come to him poor in spirit. Nobody comes to Jesus with their chin up and their chest out. You come to Jesus with your knee bent and your head bowed because you realize you'll never measure up. You need one who can carry you home. So, so Jesus will not lower the rim for you. Jesus will pick you up. And that makes all the difference. When you finally come to the end of yourself, when you finally admit the need for God to save you, when you finally cease striving and choose instead to surrender, that's when you cry out to the only one who can really do anything about it. The only one who can actually fulfill. And his word promises that when you cry out to him in that way, he will answer you. He will enter your life, transform you from the inside out. But you can't get there on your own. The Bible says all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So we can sit here and debate with God all we want and go, yeah, but I'm really way better than my next door neighbor and you should see how my little brother behaves. And Jesus is like, yeah, I see how your little brother behaves and I also see how you behave. Quit with the argument. None of us is ever gonna measure up. We need Jesus. We all fall short. Our best efforts, the Bible says this, it's not my words, it's the Bible's words. The Bible says man's best efforts are like filthy rags compared to God's holiness, and God's standard is holiness. So he's not gonna lower the rim, but I'm telling you, Jesus will lift you up if you'll bend the knee. And that makes you new, so that your righteousness is not your own, it's derived from him. So the simple question remains, and, and all this by introduction to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, this question, am I going to live for this world and the paltry, temporary happiness this world has to offer? Or, or will I bow? Will I humble myself? Will I be poor in spirit? and come to the only one who could actually make me new, hungry for righteousness, and let Jesus do a transforming work in my heart 
and make me a new person from the inside out. If you've ever been taught that life in God is about following a bunch of rules and doing a bunch of things and jumping through a bunch of hoops, you have been taught man-made religion, not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, you bow the knee and I'll carry you home. I'll make you who you were created to be. So yeah, come just as you are. I promise you will not leave just as you were. Let's bow our heads and have a time of prayer. And I want to just uh, give you a minute here because every one of us is in a different place. Just where you sit, if you just bow your head, just a, a, a time of silent prayer where you can talk to God. And I don't know, maybe you just need to be encouraged by him. Or maybe there's something you need to confess. Or, or maybe you need to ask him to pick you up because all of your efforts have failed. And you want to invite him to be your Lord and Savior. Just where you sit right now, talk to him, he'll listen. Lord, we come to you in our brokenness, unable to make ourselves blessed. But having been confronted by your word, which promises that if we allow you to work in our lives, you will do a transforming work that results in blessedness. And so I pray for each person here today that you would help us, God, because it's hard to trust you. It's hard to take our hands off the steering wheel of our own lives. But Lord, we, we've proven by our own track record that we'll never be righteous apart from you. And so God, take over, we pray. Change us from the inside out. Make us the people you've created us to be. We come to you as we are. We ask you to make us as you would have us be. And we give you all thanks and praise in Jesus' name.